Have you ever struggled to make ends meet and asked yourself, how did I get here? Well, Erin Odom has. After facing severe financial hardships and having more month than money, a middle-class stay-at-home mom and wife suddenly found herself standing in line for food stamps and walking into bankruptcy court in the eighth month of her third pregnancy. Author Erin Odom shares her story of how hard work, creativity, and her faith in God's provision led to her family's financial comeback. Hear Erin's secrets, tips, and habits for the financially frustrated on today's episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg. Hi, I'm your host, psychologist and author, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and welcome to the program today. We're brought to you, to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education. Go to SSIGuardian.com for more information about life-saving products and solutions and our upcoming advanced active shooter response training at NC State University. And you can stream today's program online at drpegradio.com. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. And you can also go to drpegradio.com to connect with our sponsor, to purchase a copy of one of my books, or to register for one of my upcoming workshops and events. And are you feeling stuck or maybe ready for change? Then register now for my Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat in Denver on December 30th, 2017. Take advantage of early bird pricing now through October. Space is limited, so go to drpegradio.com retreat slash retreat to register today. Well, speaking of doing something different for a change, my guest today is Erin Odom, founder of the Humbled Homemaker blog and author of the new book, more than making it, hope for the heart of the financially frustrated. And in her book, Erin shares how she transformed her family's hearts and financial frustration into a financial comeback. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Erin Odom, thanks so much for being on the show today and welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Pegg. I'm really honored to be here. Oh, thanks. Well, I so enjoyed your book and my daughter read your book as well. And she, um, uh, just turned 23 and is back in graduate school after about a year and a half working on her own. And she just got some great practical advice uh, from your book. So I really appreciate that. Well, I am so glad she enjoyed it. Yes, thank you. Well, tell the listeners about yourself and what prompted you to write your book, More Than Just Making It. Well, my name is Erin, and I've been married to my husband, Will, for 12 years. We have four children, three little girls and a little baby boy. And um, we found ourselves living on a low income during and in the aftermath of the Great Recession, as I think a lot of people did find themselves uh, financially frustrated during that time. At the time, we felt really alone and thought we were the only ones struggling. And um, every day, I would just think to myself, we're just barely making it. We're mm -hmm. just barely making it. And God re really began to do a work in my heart during that time. And he began to show me ways that we could go from a, a practical, emotional, and spiritual state of just barely making it to more than just making it. Amen. And that's so important. Sometimes when we're in the midst of a, a crisis or a kind of a, a challenge in our lives or with our family, uh, we just think it's the worst possible thing. But the Lord can show us how, you know what, it's not quite what you think. And I'm doing I'm working in your situation. And it's actually more than you realize. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you start out your book by sharing your experience of having to go to a 
having to go apply for food stamps. And describe the circumstances that led you there. So um, at the time when the book opens, I'm going to apply for food stamps, and I have a baby and a toddler. And we had been living on a low income for about a year or so, and every month we just could not make ends meet. You know, we would look at the, the refrigerator and the pantry, and we didn't have money in the bank account to buy more food. I was trying to feed my family as healthy as possible, and I had a friend who said, I just wrote this blog post about this blogger who's doing a challenge, and she's trying to feed her family well and healthy food on a food stamps budget. So I thought, oh, I bet her budget is similar to mine. Surely it must be. So I went to the blog post, and I read it, and my heart sunk almost immediately because I realized that her food stamps budget was several times my food budget Mm. and that there was no way we could spend on food what her food stamp challenge was. So it was in that moment I thought, well, I don't really want to apply for food stamps, but it sounds like we'd be able to eat like kings if we had that kind of of money to fund our food budget. So um, I asked my mom if she would drive me to the food stamps office. We didn't have a car at the time, and so I had to hitch rides from someone or borrow cars. So she took me there, and um, I left my little girls in the car with her. I asked her if she wanted to walk in with me, but she said she didn't. So I kind of felt like she was maybe embarrassed, Mm. and I was really embarrassed. I felt really ashamed. I felt like we were in this very low spot. And now I realize, and I began to realize then, that it was really my pride and that um, God would humble me um, in that journey of living on government aid. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading your book, I tried to imagine myself in your shoes uh, and, and how hard it really would be to, to humble myself in that circumstance But as you point out, there are people every day who are in those same um, circumstances and who are um, using government aid and public assistance. Um, What else can we really learn about our own pride from from your experience? I think that a lot of times in our American culture, we give ourselves credit for what we have or what we've uh, accomplished. And it's really just ingrained in us from the time we're young children that you work hard, you pull up your bootstraps, Mm -hmm. and then you can have more things or you can have a better station in life. And what I realized in that was it all comes from God. Some people are actually born into a family where they have more of a leg up, and I realized that I did because my parents had the money to send me to private schools, and I had a college education, and so I had a way out of poverty. And some people don't have that, and I think that there is this stigma and stereotype of people that live on government aid, and what I learned is that it's nothing that I have done that um, had saved me from that up until that point, and it was just for the grace of God. I also um, learned that everybody has a story. Mm. And so I think that we are really quick to be prideful of, well, I've, I've done this to myself, you know, I've accomplished all these things, and look at other people that are struggling and think, well, they must have just not worked hard enough, they must be lazy, when really we never know what someone has been through mm. and why they are in the situation that they are, and that there's always a story behind every single person that might have food stamps or be living on government aid or be going through any kind of financial frustration. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate your perspective because, as you said, it is so easy 
to look down on others and say, well, you know, I'm not in that position. I'm, I've done this. I've done that. But what you're really saying is we wouldn't have anything but for the Lord. Um, and that, mm-hmm. that pride is really um, kind of making an idol of our own abilities um, and that we do need to humble ourselves. You know, you write a blog called The Humbled Homemaker. It sounds like you truly learned what humility really is. Absolutely. And I wrote, I I called it the humbled homemaker, not because I'm humble, but because I've been humbled Humbled. Mm. and the Lord, the Lord has humbled me. And I started the blog when we were in the, um, the situation that we were, and I felt incredibly overwhelmed as a wife, as a homemaker, as somebody trying to struggle to make ends meet. But the Lord uh, continued to show me that he gives grace when he Mm -hmm. humbles us. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, my pastor defines humility as total dependence on God. And so we can be humbled (laughs) and and made to to realize really our only option is is depending on the Lord. So I so appreciate uh, what you wrote. Now, you also wrote in your book that you were part of a whole generation living under financial duress. Uh, can you paint a picture of the financial problems that were faced, not only by you, but by many of those in your generation? And, and I assume those would be those born in, what, about the 80s that you're writing about? Yes, I would say I was born in 1980, and mm-hmm. so... Um, I would say mostly people at the very tail end of the generation X and then millennials. Mm-hmm. So our, you know, our parents' generation really um, talked about the American dream and the whole concept. I did a lot of research on it when I was writing the book. The whole concept of the American dream is that every generation after the generation before will be able to do better financially. But our generation was born at a time that um, when, we became, when we became adults, when we came into adulthood right after college and a few years after is when the Great Recession hit. Mm-hmm. And so um, suddenly what our parents had told us our whole lives, you know, you go to college, you get a good degree, you can always have financial security after that, it was no longer true. There were many people in my generation who graduated from college with tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt and then they were not able to get jobs to quickly pay off that debt, or they got jobs that were low-paying. For example, my husband, he has his master's degree. He got a job as a teacher. Well, teachers, especially where I live in North Carolina, but really many states, are not paid that well, but there's some job security there. We will always need teachers. Mm -hmm. However, during the recession, our state and many states they froze any kind of salary increase. So whereas in the past, teachers got at least a small step increase each year of service, they froze that for about five years in our Mm -hmm. state. And so no longer did he have any step increases. Even though expenses continued to rise, there was no rise in pay to meet those uh, expenses. As well, our generation was told it's throwing money down the drain to rent. You want to buy a house as soon as you can. And that may have proven true for the generation before us. However, I now believe, and I write about this in my book, that if you cannot afford the expenses of home ownership, you really do need to rent until you have certain financial security to be able to buy a house, even if that mortgage payment might be cheaper than the monthly rent. Mm-hmm. And that that's actually really good advice, um, because there's so many uh, ups and downs in our economy, and some of them are over, 
you know, decades and less easy to perceive. Uh, but there, there are times where the housing market is not what it used to be, and owning a home that is not paid for is not necessarily a good financial position to be in. And that's what really happened to you all, is owning a home where you owed, owed more than you were able to even um, pay on your monthly mortgage. Exactly. So we moved to a different state because we were having some marriage struggles and we wanted to be close to my parents and our pastors and counselors advised that we be close to my parents. My husband's parents were going through a divorce and when we moved, we were trying to sell our house in Mississippi um, while we were renting a townhouse in North Carolina and the math just didn't add up. Mm -hmm. When you added the rent and the mortgage, there was really barely any money left at the end of the month. So we ended up having renters uh, rent that house in Mississippi off and on for four years, Mm -hmm. and we ended up losing the house in the end. As well, one more thing I would say about our generation. Our generation grew up with the whole concept of keeping up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something someone had to teach us. It was very ingrained in our culture, and... I think that is one reason why so many in my generation not only have a lot of student debt, but also a lot of consumer debt because we live in a culture of excess where people will use credit cards to try to keep up with the Joneses, to try to keep up with the facade that we have more than we really do have. And so that is um, the type of people that were really uh, struck hard during the recession. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, in your book, you talk about a financial planning class that you took through your church. And I know many churches offer these types of classes, and you can find them in your community as well. Uh, Talk about the class that you took and what happened during that first class that caused your husband to jump up and run out of the room. (laughs) Well, we were taking a financial planning class, and some of these classes are free, so I encourage your listeners, mm-hmm. just, if you need help, you, you've got to seek them out. But many churches and many communities offer classes. Some aren't free. We couldn't even afford the class, but our church actually gave us a scholarship to take it. They were very gracious. Um, but we got to the budgeting chapter and the class, and the teacher opened up the, the book, and we opened up our workbooks, and the sample budget was 50000 a year. Well, that might not sound like a lot to some people, but for us it sounded like a dream because we were living on much less at that point. So when my husband saw that, he immediately got up and walked out. He was so he was visibly shaken. I was embarrassed. And, you know, later we talked about it, and I knew he was upset because we made so much less than that. And he said, this budget's not realistic. This class is not good for us. Mm. After class, he came back in, and he apologized to the teachers, and we spoke to the teachers together. It was an older couple in their 60s. and At the time, I was in my late 20s, and he was in his early 30s. And they said, listen, we really want to help you. Can we come to your house next Sunday after church, and can we go over your finances together? So we said yes, and they did that. The next Sunday, they brought us Subway sandwiches, which was another meal for the week, and they poured over our finances. At the end of the conversation, that man said, well, you don't have a spending problem, but you do have an income problem. Mm -hmm. You simply do not have enough money to live. We really did not know that until that moment. I I think we were just, it sounds very naive, but we did not realize that the money we were making was not enough to support our family. Mm -hmm. 
And that that's a tough place to be is just not having enough. It's not like you're being frivolous with the money you have. And we'll talk about strategies and and tips and advice that you have for, for folks and getting themselves on a budget. But when you don't even have enough coming in, that can be extremely frustrating. And, and then to have um, the example in the book, that would be a dream for you all to have made the amount of money that was used in the sample budget. Uh, comparison can kind of creep in there where you're looking at what other people have and what they're doing and wondering why is it so hard for them to make it when they've, they're making all this money compared to what we have. How did you cope with that? Well, to be honest, Dr. Peg, it was definitely hard. We lived in an affluent area. Now, we didn't live in an affluent part of town. We um, actually went to church in the next town over um, from where we lived, but we lived near my parents, and it is an affluent suburb of Charlotte. So we were going to church with people that would go out on their boats on the lake on the weekend, and there was nothing um, sacrificial about going out to eat, you know, at least once a week, where we would go to Chick-fil-A once a month, and that was a sacrifice. So it was hard. It was hard. um, Really, again, it was my pride, but it was hard for us to let people in and let Mm -hmm. people know we were struggling. We really let very few people know we were struggling. Um, And it was one of those things... Uh, go ahead. I'm saying you're hearing the music, Erin. We're going to um, go to a break in just a moment. Okay. I'm talking with Erin Odom about her book, More Than Making It, Hope for the Heart of the Financially Frustrated. We're going to take a break. But first, do you have a spending problem or an income problem? Erin's going to continue talking with us about More Than Making It. Stay with us. Are you prepared for a sudden cardiac arrest? Having an AED is simply not enough. School athletic coaches are required to have CPR and AED training, but they can only save a life with properly functioning and maintained equipment. Maintain compliance and reduce your liability with AED program management from SSI Guardian. Buy an AED and receive a two-year management program for free. Call us today at 877-878-5800 or visit us at SSIGuardian.com. Do you ever make changes? But after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into old behaviors and patterns. If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join psychologist, author, and transformation specialist, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark for a one-day Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Dr. Peg's Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat is coming to Denver on Saturday, December 30th. Go to drpegradio.com forward slash retreat to register today. Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 security consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSI guardian.com welcome back everyone my guest is Aaron Odom author of more than making it hope for the heart of the financially frustrated 
Erin, thanks so much for being on the show. How can listeners get in touch with you? Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Pegg. They can find me at thehumbledhomemaker.com or they can find me at morethanjustmakingit.com and they can find my book on that page. Wonderful. And I'll also have a link to Erin Odom's information on my website, drpegradio.com. And if you want to share this interview with a friend or family member, you can find it there at drpegradio.com. Again, I mentioned my 23-year-old who's off to graduate school and in graduate student housing and uh, she, she's been enjoying, uh, as, as my kids call it, adulting, <laughs> having to pay their own bills and all of that. They call me with their questions, but I just feel it's an honor and a privilege. I'm so glad that they feel comfortable reaching out to me to be able to help them navigate uh, adulting. And your book is just a great resource, not only for us adults who've been doing it for a long time, but I would highly recommend it for uh, recent college graduates and those just starting out in their careers. Uh, it's just great practical advice. Uh, so Aaron, right before the break, we were talking about just kind of that, um, really a trap of comparison, seeing what other people are doing and how easy it is for them to go out to eat every day or buy that new car whenever they're ready, get on their boat. Um, say more about uh, how that fits into your story. Well, we were living in an affluent area and Many of the people that we were friends with, um, at least on a service level, they were at our church and they were very affluent. So it was very easy to get frustrated and feel like, oh, everybody else has things that we don't have. But it was really during that season of life where God began to convict me of feeling discontent, and he began to show me how he provides for all of our needs. And sometimes it's not exactly what we want, but it's what we need. And he taught me to be grateful in everything. Hmm. And so I really believe that gratitude, it is what stills discontentment. And God began to show me that you may not have the ability to go out to eat every night, or you may not be able to hop on a boat on the weekend, but I have provided a home. I provide food, mm. and he did that in different ways through different people and, and through government aid. Um, I have provided clothing. You know, you have what you need. Just like the Israelites, you know, they grumbled against the Lord. They did not necessarily want the manna, but mm -hmm. he sent it to them, and he provided for their needs. Mm-hmm. That's great. And, you know, the Bible says, Jesus said, the poor will have with us always. Um, and so uh, knowing that that's possible, that even we ourselves could end up, as, as you talk about in your book, part of the working poor, um, it really mm -hmm. is great to cultivate this heart of gratitude. Uh, as Paul said, you know, it doesn't matter what circumstances I'm in. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm -hmm. Well, t talk about the working yes. poor and just having that realization of what that was like. So when I was growing up, I grew up in upper, upper middle class America. Um, we never went without, and I, uh, we were the givers and not the recipients of charity. So this is where I realized my pride in becoming a recipient mm -hmm. of charity. Um, but one thing I didn't realize just growing up was that there are people who are working who are working hard, who are working long hours, but who still cannot make ends meet. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is this, I know that there is this misconception and stereotype in our society that people who use government aid or are poor 
that they are lazy, that they don't work hard, that they don't work at all. And it's just not true. Walking through this season, I learned that there are people who are working very hard but just simply do not make enough money to live. Um, you know, it might be the gas station worker. It might be the hotel maid. It might be the secretary at the doctor's office. It might be your child's teacher. You know, teachers cannot uh, support their families mm-hmm. on their own without both spouses really bringing in an income. And that was something that I didn't realize until I was living it, that we were the working poor and that they're not lazy people, that they just need help because they cannot feed their families on what they are paid. And these are the people that keep society going. Mm-hmm. You know, can you imagine if we didn't have the gas station worker and the hotel maid? And they are no less dignified. They are beautiful parts of God's creation, and they are made in the image of God. One thing that I do appreciate, my parents raised me, that we weren't poor growing up, but they both grew up. They like to say in large families with no extra money. Mm. And my dad was one of five kids. My mom was one of six. And uh, both their mothers were stay-at-home moms. My my dad's mother was until um, his his dad left, and then she supported the family by going to yard sales and buying things and then reselling them. That was how she supported her her kids when she was a single mom. Mm-hmm. And my uh, my mother's father was a pastor, so they didn't have a lot. Um, so even though my dad had a good job and I you know I was very well taken care of growing up, my parents did teach me. I remember them saying. Aaron, we're friends of people that live in million-dollar homes, and we're friends of people that live in trailers, and neither is, is better than the other. And they taught me to treat everyone with dignity. You know, when we would go to hotels, my dad would have conversations with the workers, and, and it, it, it would never would be like, oh, well, we're, they're beneath us. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those things. Um, I didn't realize that these people probably live on government aid. I had no idea. But I saw these people, and I saw them working hard. I saw my parents treating them with dignity. So when I came to the whole realization of what even is the working poor, um, it really helped me to see that nobody is, is better than the other. And there are people out there that aren't lazy but still are using uh, government aid or needing help from the church because they just don't have enough to make ends meet. Right. And again, in your book, you talk about that um, uh, spending problem versus an income problem. And really what you're, what you're painting a picture of is folks who have what you call an income problem, just not enough coming in. And we'll talk about a little bit later those who may have that spending problem uh, but you really did turn things around in in your family's finances, um, and what what really got that that process moving? Uh, and what are some of the strategies that you use to uh, actually cut spending in your household? So once we met with the financial um, advisor, the teacher from our class, and he showed us that we had an income problem. Mm-hmm. Some people might think that as discouraging, but really it was like a fire was lit under us to do something about it now that we knew the root cause of our issue. Already we were working several extra side jobs. I was writing for a couple different newspapers. I was teaching homeschoolers Spanish. I was tutoring at the local public school. My husband was teaching, but he was also teaching Saturday school and summer school and after school and during his planning period. But none of those little income streams really were making up to what we needed to live. So it was at that point that we began to to explore um, other longer-term options for bringing up our income. So we explored, should my husband make a career change? And um, we tried to walk in that. My husband, uh, we kept getting closed doors. Mm. So I would tell your listeners, definitely explore that, even though that didn't end up being um, our exit 
from low-income living, that it might very well be yours. Um, we also explored, um, you know, should mom go back to work? Should I work outside the home? And then we also explored how to turn something that married our passions and our personality mm. and our giftings and our skill set to be an entrepreneur. And so that was what ended up being um, God's um, open door for us was that I had started a blog that um, I realized could be a uh, real income generator for our family. I learned how to monetize the blog. And fast forward all these years later, and my husband and I now run it together. Mm. It does really marry both of our skill set. He's very organized, and he's more techie than I am. And then I have more of the creative brain and write and connect with people. And so it really marries both of our skill sets. But it took many years to get there, and it took us trying a lot of different ways to create more income for our family, and I have a chapter in my book called Creating More Income. I believe that God has gifted us each uniquely and that we do have gifts and skills that we can use both for the kingdom and for bringing more income in for our family. Mm -hmm. Amen. And God is our provision. And if we humble ourselves and rely on him and seek him and, um, and obey the guidance that we receive, um, we can more than make it. Mm-hmm. Amen. Absolutely. Well, talk about um, the role of a budget. Um, it turns out your husband and you, uh, not only do you have complementary skill sets that work well together as entrepreneurs, but you're also opposites in terms of spending. And so talk about this <laughs> process of budget. Some people think of a budget as a four-letter word. In, in fact, it actually has six letters. <laughs> uh, but there, but budget really, a budget really is, is a good thing to have. And how, how did that work with you and your husband with him being a little bit more of a spender and you more of a saver? It was one of those things that honestly, Dr. Pegg, I think that it took us getting to the bottom for us to come to more of an agreement on money, and, I talk, and I'm open in my book, and my husband and I talk about this all the time, how it, it's not to say that we never get frustrated with each other with money still. We do, because he's a spender and I'm a saver. But I talk about in my book how the, the saver's not always the hero. My husband's <laughs> very generous, and he's taught me how to give more. Um, but I would say coming to the agreement of we actually need to have a budget was, was huge. And it took us being in a season of literally not having any extra money that really put us in line to keep up with that budget. So I would say there's three big benefits of having a budget. Uh, one is that it holds a mirror so you can see where you're spending your money. So I don't know about your listeners, but I know I've definitely been there where we get paid and then we get to the end of the month and we say, all the money's gone, where did it go? And if we aren't keeping track of our money via a budget, we're not going to know how we're spending it. So being able to do that really helps. The other thing is that a budget helps you to meet financial goals. So perhaps your listeners are listening and they have a goal to buy a home. Maybe they don't have a home yet or to buy a new home or a different car, but they still feel like they're living paycheck to paycheck. They don't know how to get to the point where they can achieve these goals or even just achieve future financial stability. That budget will help you meet those goals, and they need to put a line item in their budget to save for whatever that big goal is. Mm -hmm. When you aren't living by a budget, frivolous spending can often take the place of fruitful savings. 
The last thing, and this is where it takes a mindset change, a budget can create freedom. So I'll give you an example. If I need a new pair of jeans and I know that I have $100 in my clothing budget, I am going to feel no guilt about going out and paying $20 for a new pair of jeans. And, yes, I will pay 20 or less. <laughs> Where are you finding $20 jeans? <laughs> oh. Is that a tip in the book? It's time sale. Okay. It's in the book, but, right. yeah, I'm, a, I'm definitely a penny pincher. So, so, but I don't feel guilt about mm-hmm. spending that. Now, let's pretend I don't have a budget. I really need a new pair of jeans but I have no idea how much money we have, and I don't know if we're going to need the money for something else because I don't have a budget. I'm going to go out and get those, either not get the jeans, or I'll go out and get them and I'll feel guilty guilty. about it because of the way I'm spending my family's money. So really having that budget does bring freedom. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, my financial advisor calls a budget a spending plan. Uh, which feels a lot less restrictive. We hear the word budget and we think, oh, I've got to deny myself. But my my advisor encourages me to think of it as my spending plan. So just as you said, you have $100 in your um, clothing budget. Well, that's a plan to spend up to $100 potentially. And so just that mm-hmm. slight mindset um, shift really can liberate people, I think, to really embrace uh, the benefits of a budget as you've laid them out here. I love that. I wish I had used that terminology in my book. <laughs> the spending plan. The spending plan. That's great. what she calls it. Yeah. So you say a critical e- exercise when it comes to budgeting is identifying the difference between our needs and our, our wants. And you alluded to this in our first segment when you talked about manna. Uh, the people didn't like it. Manna means what is this? <laughs> uh, probably was a very bland um, you know, thing to eat, but it did meet their need for hunger. So talk about the difference between wants and needs when it comes to budgeting? Well, I think, again, in our culture of excess, we think that everything is a need. Um, We think that, you know, we need these huge homes. We think that we need the latest clothes. We think that we need everything that the TV commercials say that we need, when really those are all wants. So I think a first step in creating a good budget or spending plan, like you said, is to track everything you spend for a month and then categorize those things as wants and needs. And basically, if you strip everything out, what do you need? You need uh, clothing. You need Now, not new every month, but you mm-hmm. need some clothes to wear. You need shelter, so you need your rent or your mortgage, which also includes utilities. And you need food. Um, you know, and you need gas to get somewhere unless you live in a very pedestrian-friendly society. You don't need everything else. So when we can strip those things down and look at wants and needs, it helps us to realize how much we need to live on. And it helps us also to be more content, I think, to realize my needs are met. I might want a few more things, and it's not wrong to acquire those things if we have the right um, intentions behind it. But we can see, wow, my needs are actually more taken care of than I thought. Even though I'm financially frustrated right now, maybe I, 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 it's not merited. Maybe um, I am wanting more things um, when I should be grateful for what I have. Mm-hmm. And that takes you back to what you said earlier about gratitude instead of being discontent that I'm not keeping up with the Joneses. I don't have everything I, I want to be grateful for what you do have. And that, that really does um, make a shift in, in everything, I think, opens up 
uh, for what you talked about, where we can have that um, confluence of passion and our personality and our gifting and our skill set, or God will give us new ideas for um, new career paths or uh, open up a door, give us favor for perhaps some kind of workforce development program or to go back to school for a totally new career. Uh, but the key would be gratitude. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so in the subtitle of your book, Hope for the Heart of the Financially Frustrated, that really is a, a big part of more than making it. It's not just about making more money, but really having that transformation in our hearts. Absolutely. That's the heartbeat behind the book is mm -hmm. the heart. And, and the book is part memoir mm. because I want it to really show. I felt like God was calling me to show that heart change that took place in me. And my hope and prayer is that others will read the book and they'll have the same heart change and that they will find encouragement and hope. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Well, there's so much more that I'd like to talk with you about in our last segment. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the very practical tips that you offer, how we can um, start saving money and spend less without clipping coupons, <laughs> which is something I really don't enjoy. I end up with all these little papers in my wallet, and they even have the electronic coupons now, but I can never remember my login for that app. <laughs> so we'll get more practical tips and advice. I'm speaking with Erin Odom. And she's the author of More Than Making It, Hope for the Heart of the Financially Frustrated. Uh, our sponsor is SSI Guardian, and we'll hear a few words from them. And when we come back, Erin will tell us more about those dreaded coupons. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. What if a psychologist with years of clinical and teaching experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? And what if that book provided strategies for experiencing change and transformation? That's exactly what you get with Dr. Pegg's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Approaching 10 years in print, this self-help classic shares insights and strategies to help you overcome the three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your connection to your true self and and others. In the easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark clearly communicates fundamental principles related to change and reveals secrets your therapist knows but may not tell you. Read Do Something Different for a Change tonight and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradio.com books to purchase your copy today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and my guest today is Erin Odom, 
author of More Than Making It, Hope for the Heart of the Financially Frustrated, and you can go to drpegradio.com to get in touch with Erin. I'll have links to her different websites and blogs or to find a copy of her book. Erin, uh, thanks so much. I, I really enjoyed your book, and it really um, inspired me because of your transparency. You were sharing that it it was it's also a memoir. You you were open about where you were in your family and your struggles and what you learned and how God dealt with your heart. And I really appreciated that because it is an inspiration. It it does make people feel like I'm not alone in this. That was really my goal. We felt alone a lot when we walked through this journey. And I think a lot of times, you know, when you're struggling financially, you don't really want to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized in the aftermath we were not alone. You know, first of all, the Lord was always with us, and He made His presence known. But there were other people who were also struggling. And I I hope that people will read this and they'll realize they are not alone. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, I led, uh, left off the last segment saying, but talking about my hate for, for coupons. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I can save a lot of money with them when I take the time to do it, but uh, it just takes a lot of time. So now, of course, they have electronic coupons, and um, you know the grocery stores with your reward card, they'll send you coupons in the mail uh, that are tailored just to you and your purchasing patterns. But I just got tired of carrying all that paper around in my wallet and can never remember the login to use the electronic ones. And um, I take the coupons out of my wallet and waiting till I'm going to the grocery store and I forget to put them back in and I get there and I don't have the ones I need. So how can we save money without even bothering with those dreaded coupons <laughs> for people, for listeners like me? Well, you know, I'm very similar to you, Dr. Peg. I'm not a big fan of coupons, <laughs> and my mother, though, she is, and she is 66 years old, and she still clips coupons. Mm-hmm. My dad helps her out with that now. And there's nothing wrong if you're passionate about right. that, but yes. I'm not. <laughs> so I would say there are lots of ways to save money without clipping coupons, and a lot of it goes back to just being very intentional. Mm-hmm. So I have an, a whole chapter. It was in my chapter, Eating Well on a Budget, but I wrote so much about it. We made a new chapter called The Magic of Meal Planning. Mm. And when you meal plan, you save so much money. Number one, I don't know about you, but when I'm in busy seasons, I am less likely to meal plan. And then we get to five o'clock and I say, oh no, I have four little children and a husband looking at me and I don't know what I'm going to cook. Honey, can we go to Chick-fil-A again? (laughs) So we are more likely to spend money on going out to eat or to go, and that's always more expensive than when you cook at home. As well, though, when you don't meal plan, you buy food that can go bad in your refrigerator Mm -hmm. because you don't make a plan of what to do with that food. And so I have a whole chapter on how meal planning can really save you money. It also is better for your health because eating at home is better for you, and it's also better for your sanity to Mm -hmm. avoid that stress of that 4 or 5 o'clock dinner hour. (laughs) Also, different things that I learned when we were living on low income was that many grocery stores will have clearance racks or clearance bins. And I learned to find those grocery stores that had that, and I would plan my shopping trips around those grocery stores. And I would start out in the clearance section of those stores. A lot of times it's those near expiration date dry goods um, or even meats that you could just buy up and freeze immediately, that they're not bad, but they're just not as attractive (laughs) um, as 
other merchandise that the store wants to display. A lot of times it's uh, produce that is bruised, and it's not rotten. It still has nutritional value. Maybe sometimes it's boxed goods that aren't selling as well because of whatever the brand is, and so they put them on clearance. So I learned that shopping those racks first can really help my money stretch. I also learned that cooking from scratch can really make your money scratch, that it is most always cheaper to buy whole real foods and cook them yourself than to buy prepackaged foods that, you know, you just warm up in the microwave. Mm-hmm. It can be intimidating. I didn't know how to cook when I got married. I, I knew how to cook like three different dishes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was during the season that I really learned how to cook and I just got I just got recipes and I just taught myself really and I'm still not this master chef but I can cook now and I can cook from scratch and again it's both better for my family's health and it's better for our budget yes absolutely and let me let me interject there with um, meal planning besides it just really helping you have you know that dreaded what are we having for dinner today you know we've all been there and not had a clue and yeah we usually do run out and and buy fast food which as you said is not only bad for our budget i find it's it's bad for my calories as well so meal planning really helps me with maintaining my weight um i'm not making bad choices because i've planned out what i'm going to eat today and that goes for our whole family um eating healthier exactly that definitely when i've gone through seasons where i haven't meal planned i definitely have seen the the weight pile on because Mm -hmm. you you do. You can't control those ingredients at restaurants. That's right. That's right. And I, I think, you know, for all of our listeners, some might be thinking, well, this is just for uh, whoever is the primary homemaker and making all these decisions. But this advice is great advice also for, um, for example, college students. Again, with my children being recent college graduates and out, you know, in, in the real world adulting, as they call it, They've got to figure out what they're going to eat for dinner every day, and their their um, budgets don't allow for eating out. They, my son in particular, I think, is learning that now. You can't eat out every day, even if you might want to. That does get very expensive. So this is great advice for young people who are uh, just um, heading out on their own. It's a great advice for singles, people who are, are you know have been out in the workforce you know for a decade or more but they just happen to be single it's not just about for families it's a way that you can um, uh, make your budget stretch whether you have a family of six or it's just you absolutely and I also talk in the book about how you can buy clothes mm-hmm. and save money that way and, and other things so um, you can buy used, and you're going to save money, but you can also buy new by shopping clearance racks even in stores. Mm-hmm. Well, say more about um, the $20 jeans, where you find those, and then I'm sure I have listeners who are saying, did I just hear her say buying used clothes? So say more about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think that there is there's a stigma with buying secondhand clothing, but you really you can really make your money stretch and you can find some really nice things. So I mainly buy secondhand clothing with consignment. My dad really loves, it's a hobby of his to go to um, like Goodwill and other thrift stores and he has found some really nice stuff. That way there are people that make whole careers of going to thrift stores, finding name brand items and reselling them. And my grandmother did that. Um, you kind of have to get out of your mind, I have to have new. Mm. 
and I guarantee you, you will be able to save so much money. For example, we have seasonal consignment sales for children, and we actually have seasonal consignment sales for women that come to our town twice a year. And um, my children now go to a private Christian school uh, three days a week. We have school two days a week. And I've been able to find uniforms for them mm. already embroidered with the logo on them at consignment sales for less than what I would spend on just getting the embroidery wow. on something new. Yeah. To me, that is really worth it. But if you don't like buying used, um, you can go to the end of each season to a department store, and they will almost always have items on clearance they're trying to get rid of. And my parents taught me that as I was growing up. They always said, head straight to the back of the mm-hmm. store. Now, it's mm-hmm. not always in the back of the store now, but that's how it used to be. But go straight to the clearance rack and look there first. first. And you have to be thinking ahead. So for my kids right now, it's the end of the season. It's the end of summer. So I am looking for what my kids will wear next summer. Mm. So I'm thinking ahead. My little boy is six months old, so I'm thinking, okay, I need to be looking at size 18 months for him mm-hmm. now so that I can go ahead and buy things where, when they're at rock-bottom prices. I mean, you can even sometimes find things up to 90% off sure. at somewhere like Kohl's. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a great tip to think ahead for the next season. But, again, that taps into the wants and needs and immediate gratification. I don't want to buy something now I can't wear till next year. But when I buy it in season, mm-hmm. it's, you know, 10 times the cost. And so it really is mm-hmm. making that uh, shift in our mindset that you talked about earlier. It really is. And then going back to secondhand, if you do not have any local consignment sales or shops, mm-hmm. there are several websites now. ThreadUp.com, if you really do have a penchant for the top brands, mm-hmm. they sell really nice name brand clothing secondhand for a fraction of what you would pay in a department store. It's called ThreadUp.com. Mm-hmm. And there's um, another one called Swap.com that sells all different kinds of brands that you can buy online, use sometimes new with tags. There's a way to, sh- to search new with tags. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can maybe fulfill that penchant for those really nice clothing, but not have to spend all the money yeah. on them. Well, another way um, is to shop in your own closet. I know plenty of people who have so many clothes that some of them still have tags on them in their own closet that they haven't worn yet. So that would be a great way to save money is don't buy anything new until you've worn everything in your own closet. Absolutely. And I talk about that in one of my chapters because I had a friend that helped me do that. She is much more of a fashionista. Mm-hmm. And so we just drug everything out of our closet. And now I do this ever so often. And I looked at the different pieces. She helped me put things together. And, you know, I tried on things, and she said, don't ever wear that out of the house. Those are mom (laughs) jeans that don't look good on you. Mom (laughs) jeans are coming back. (laughs) Hold hold on to your mom jeans. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's other things. She said, why don't you ever wear this? This is so cute. So I think, again, we live in a culture of excess. We buy things, and then we forget we bought them because they're in the back of our closet. Mm -hmm. So I say before you go shopping anywhere, secondhand clearance or or just not even on sale, go look in your own closet and look in the closet of your kids, too. Take an inventory of what you have before you head to the stores, and you may ha- need a lot less than you really think than you Than you really think, yes. And you mentioned something uh, earlier, uh, clo- clothing swaps. Um, there, You can get together with a group of friends, and they may be tired of it. They may have only worn this 
um, evening dress one time for an event and they were photographed in it and don't want to be seen in it again, but it's still perfectly good. And so getting together with friends and doing a clothing swap might be another way to cut costs on clothing. Absolutely. Those are really fun too. Yeah, great. Well, it, it really is about being committed to overcoming our financial frustrations, um, you say in your book, um, more than making it, uh, making new choices and building new habits. That really is at the core um, of, of, our, of our behavior, isn't it? Absolutely. And just recognizing that God is the provider of all of our needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about... Um, some practical ways that listeners can make more money. Um, if, if they've done all these tips, they go through your book and they're cutting back on their spending. Um, how, how do they make more money? Uh, you talked about what your family did, but you said you have a whole chapter on, um, making more income. So I would say, look at your passion. What are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. Look back for the time you were a little child. What are those things you always like to do? And where are your gifts? You know, a lot of times those usually line up. And what are your skill sets? And what's your personality? And take some time to really pray through those and brainstorm a list of different things that you might be able to do. Are you very organized? You might be good as a virtual assistant for someone. Mm -hmm. And I named different types of jobs. Are you very artistic? I interviewed one woman for my book who she created a business out of face painting at children's birthday parties. Wow. She's really good at art. Mm -hmm. She enjoyed face painting her own children, and now it makes income for her family because she's created a business out of it. So I would say look at how God has made you and then really try to think creatively of some of those things that you can do that can generate income for your family. Mm -hmm. So it really is, it's less about, um, I'm a psychologist, taking some kind of assessment, you know, vocational interest assessment and seeing what a bunch of um, possible careers are that are making a lot of money today. You're really recommending really first look at how did God make you? What are your interests? What are your passions? What are your talents? And then seeing how can I, how can, how can I allow God to, to provide for me through the way he made me? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, tell us, um, how does the story of your financial challenges end? You've given us kind of a, um, a picture of what you went through and some of the things that you've done, some of the um, realizations you had, uh, some of the changes that you made. Um, but how does your financial, um, your story of your financial challenges end? Or is that giving away too much <laughs> in the book? <laughs> well, towards the end of my book, my husband and I, we learned to create more income. We really saw our situation turn. But ultimately, while I was living this, I kept telling the Lord, you know, God, if we ever make it through this, I want to do everything I can to shatter the shame and the stigma of the poor, mm. to help others learn how they can create more income or curb spending, to give people hope and encouragement, to help people learn how to cultivate a spirit of gratitude. And so we live similarly to how we lived back then. Mm. I still buy secondhand clothing <laughs> or shop clearance. Um, right before we got on the phone, I called the local consignment store. When is your clearance sale? Because I even shop secondhand on clearance. <laughs> you know, we still do many of the things back then, but I have learned to really cultivate gratitude, and I continue to ask the Lord, help me not to forget that time. Help me to thank you for all we have. Mm -hmm. Help me to be grateful. Help me to instill that in my children and to help other people 
see that gratitude in their own lives as well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful way to live. It's a simple way to live, isn't it? It is. But I think that those simple ways are, are really the best. Yes. So t- tell me just a little bit about what you're doing with your children. Um, is, is, are they just growing up and this is just the way it is? Or are you doing anything intentional to help them understand about wants and needs and curbing spending and gratitude and seeking the Lord for our provision? Well, we really aren't giving them everything that they want. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we're trying to teach them it's not all about you. But also, you know, we're told to disciple our children as we are coming, as we are going, as we are walking, Mm. you know, about living the day to really uh, instill in them the truth from God's Word. And it's the same with gratitude, Mm -hmm. that just saying things like, look, how God has provided for us. Like, oh, we got this dress on sale. How awesome. God has helped us to save money. Or can you believe this house that God gave us? When we first bought this house, uh, towards the end of my book, I talk about how we got it, and I never thought we would buy a house again because mm. we lost a house. Um, I would sit in my driveway, and I would just look up at the house and not get out of the car. Mm. And my little girls would say, Mommy, <laughs> why aren't we getting out of the car? And I would say, Girls, I am just looking at all God has given us. Isn't God good? God has given us this house. God has provided for all of our Mm -hmm. needs. And just continually to have that gratitude on our lips so that we don't forget that it's not from us, it's from Him. It's from Him. Thank you so much, Erin Odom, author of More Than Making It, Hope for the Heart of the Financially Frustrated. My guest has been Erin Odom. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. (laughs) 